Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, and a very good afternoon to you. It's wonderful to be in your company this afternoon. It is a beautiful Wednesday afternoon here in the Highfield, and of course, building up to Rosh Hashanah, coming close as we are to Rosh Hashanah, to the awesome days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, but in for a very action-packed, filled Jewish week in the now 10 days that remain before Rosh Hashanah. Um, of course, today is already the 20th of Elul, so literally counting down the days till Rosh Hashanah, till the brand new year. <coughs> in between now and Rosh Hashanah, we have a Shabbat, and on the Shabbat, we're going to read the double parsha, the double portions of Nitzavim and Vayelech, or known as Nitzavim Vayelech, that it goes together. It is also the Shabbos on which we start, um, after Shabbat, we start Slichot, Slichas, um, the penitential prayers begun by, by, um, Ashkenazi communities, of course, Sephardi communities have begun already with Slichot, and Slichas begun by the Ashkenazi communities <coughs> starting either midnight on Saturday night or early Sunday morning and going all the way through until Erev Rosh Hashanah, and many then can t- continue, of course, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur as well. But so it's the weekend of uh, um, Slichas, it's known as Shabbat Slichas, also known as Shabbat Nitzavim Vayelech, or the penultimate um, uh, Shabbos before Rosh Hashanah, or the last Shabbos rather, before Rosh Hashanah actually bearing in mind that Rosh Hashanah this year occurs on a Shabbos as well. So, we're looking at Rosh Hashanah, we're looking at the advent of a brand new year, we're looking at Slichot, we're looking at Parshat Nitzavim Vayelach, the double Parshas that we're going to be reading on this coming Shabbos, and then having to think about the mindset that we should be in with all of that um, in, in the next 10 days, in the build-up to Rosh Hashanah, and uh, actually what perhaps we should be focusing on if we haven't started focusing already. So, let's think about, first of all, as an introduction, the fact that this year, once again, we have the double parshiot, which is quite common, of Nitzavim and Vayelech. Nitzavim, Vayelech. If we think about Nitzavim and Vayelech, they actually, just by their names, convey very, very different things. The word Nitzavim means to stand, to stand firm. You're standing firm today before me. This is, we're told, the uh, reference, of course, to Rosh Hashanah, to the day on which the world is going to be all but recreated a new, brand new advent of uh, spirituality, of godliness that comes into the world on Rosh Hashanah, as we have mentioned before. And so we think about Rosh Hashanah, the beginning, the head of this brand new year, and it's Atem Nitzavim Hayom. We have this picture of standing firm. We're standing together. We're standing upright. We are standing ready and proud and confident with everything that we have done and that we need to do and all our good um, decisions that we've made for the year that lies ahead, Nitzavim, standing tall and standing firm. When we think about the Parsha Vayelech, Vayelech actually means to go. Vayelech. And 
he goes or and he went. Vayelech means to move, to go forward. When we think about Nitzavim standing still, Vayelech means to move forward. The idea of moving forward is something that, of course, has to be part and parcel of our mindset now on Rosh Hashanah as well, and particularly in this difficult year that we have had, and particularly in the last six months that we have had, where in many ways people have become a little bit stuck. We've become stuck in our homes. We've become stuck in our own minds. We've become, we've become stuck as a, uh, on a national level, an international level. There's this idea of uh, the thought of being kind of cut off from everywhere else and with travel bans and so on. There's this idea of standing still, of being stuck. Have we really progressed? And then, of course, the exhortation that comes from Parshas Vayelech of the fact that, albeit that from time to time we may be standing still, we need to have a mindset of moving forward. Now, it's fascinating, or it may fascinate you to know, that when we think about the word Shana, and we use that often because we all wish each other a Shana Tova, a good year, we know that the word Shana means a year. But did you know that the word Shana has a number of other meanings as well? If we take the Hebrew word Shana, the word Shana can mean change, and it can also mean repetition. When we talk about learning something over and over and over again, that word of repetition is the word shana that is used there in classical Hebrew language. When we talk about change, le shanot, to change something, we think about changing, changing. The idea of change and repetition is actually conveyed by the Hebrew word shana. Did you ever think of that? The idea of a year is repetition and change. Now, what's that all about? How can the word shana, meaning a year, be all about change? And how can it all be about repetition? Surely repetition means no change. It's exactly the same. It's over and over and over again. So perhaps we need to get our heads around this idea of repetition and change from the word Shana, and then think about what it means when we say we want to wish you a Shana Tova. And maybe what we're actually telling each other is we hope that all the repetitions will be the same, and we hope that all the changes will be the same. Well, we've had a year where we've had the most incredible changes that have happened in our lives. There have been upheavals, there have been changes. Um, many of them very, very, very difficult for us to think about and to stomach, many of them very difficult for us to tolerate, and yet there have been some changes that have been really, really positive. There have been certain things that have changed in our lives that are incredible. And with all of this, the repetition has been a little bit different. Some of the things that have been repeated they were repeated in ways and means that they were never repeated like that before. When we think about the concept of repetition, surely the idea of repetition of a shamna actually comes from the idea of kind of repeating everything from the beginning. We're going from the beginning, and now we are continually um, uh, moving through the cycle of the year and repeating. So 
there was a Pesach in the right time this year as there was the year before and the year before that and the year before that. There was a Yom Kippur uh, this year and there will be a Yom Kippur this this coming year uh, in the next few weeks exactly as it was the time before. But this year we have seen incredible change. Things are very, very different. We didn't celebrate Pesach in a way that we were used to. We didn't celebrate Shavuot in a way that we were used to. And even now with Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we're not going to be celebrating in ways that we're used to. So within the concept of repetition, there is also the idea of change. And when better has it been communicated to us um, than in this particular year where we've had repetition and change? And so as we turn to face this new year and we think about the Shana that is now coming up, think, or let's think together, collectively, and apart, let's think about how we're going to see to it that the things that need to be repeated are repeated well and properly, and the things that need to be changed will be changed, will be altered for the good. And then we'll know that we will have had a real blessing of Shana Tova. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi everyone, welcome back. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz and great to be with you this afternoon in the build-up to Rosh Hashanah. And we've been talking about Shana. The word Shana, meaning a year, has the meaning of change and repetition. And at the same time, how can you have change and how can you have repetition? Well, maybe, um, you know, we could suggest that uh, we got to continue repeating things, but each time, we need to make a change. And the change always has to be, of course, from a Jewish point of view, we have to make a change for the better. Thinking about the backdrop of coronavirus and the difficulties that we've had over the last six months or so, um, the idea of change has been perhaps more relevant right now than ever before. And it leads us, unfortunately, sometimes into um, not recognizing and not realizing how important it is to have the repetition at the same time as we have the change. And what I mean by that is because um, we have now moved into a phase, I think, within the Jewish community here in Johannesburg, where things have settled, thank God, a tremendous amount when it comes to coronavirus. And um, thank God the numbers are radically down from what they were before. We're certainly not out of the woods and nobody at all is underestimating the power of this terrible, terrible virus and the terrible toll that it has taken, both um, in uh, actual deaths, as well as uh, people who've been ill. This has been a really, really um, huge, huge um, earth-shattering, literally an earth-shattering seismic event for the entire world, and we've certainly felt it here as well, and therefore by no means underestimating. However, at the same time, we seem to have built up within our community a kind of a fear, particularly for shul. Now, we are all well aware of where that came from. Um, We all understand and know that in the early days of the coronavirus pandemic, we do know that um, shuls were viewed as major spreaders, unfortunately, um, both in places like 
New York, in places like London, in places like Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, and what are known as the Haredi neighborhoods um, of uh, Israel. And because of that, the concept of shul is something that has literally scared the living daylights out of so many people who are now feeling that come Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we dare not even venture into or near a shul because it's almost as though that is kind of uh, in their minds a possible epicenter and a possible um, a free uh, spreader of this terrible virus um, to so many people. And I think that we need a little bit of a reality check when it comes to that kind of thinking. Number one is the fact that we have here in Joburg such an incredible, incredible team of experts, uh, both from a medical point of view as well as from a legal point of view and from a rabbinic point of view, and with the leadership of our chief rabbi and Beth Din and so on, the incredible, incredible lengths that everybody has gone to to ensure that our shuls are safe and that they are properly managed and that there is proper protocols that are observed in all of the shuls with social distancing and mask wearing and temperature taking and so on. And uh, so many have worked so incredibly hard to make sure that every, every single I is dotted and every T is crossed as far as making sure we take all the possible precautions that I would venture to say that um, today, if you're talking about Johannesburg and you're talking about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the days that lie ahead, that the safest place that you could possibly visit during the period of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is your shul. Because the shuls have gone to great lengths and great extents to make sure that everything is properly taken care of. And it's actually quite interesting to note, and I've certainly noticed it in my own shul, that people are walking into shul when they do come back and finding the protocols that we are um, observing in shuls much more stringent than anywhere else. And because that is the truth, it is like that. When you go to somebody's home on a casual level for a meal or you perhaps are going to any of the other activities that people engage in, whether it is shopping, whether it is going to the gym, whether it is going for a walk with friends, whether it is going for a run perhaps, whether it is um, simply dropping off your kids at school and uh, and so on, any of the um, the, 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 the usual activities of the average uh, man or woman or a human being in Johannesburg today, I don't think there are any places that have gone to the degrees and gone to the lengths that our shuls have gone to to ensure that there is the correct social distancing, that there is the correct um, um, non-socialization, that there is the correct protocols observed and mask wearing and so on, that everybody has... Um, insisted upon and that all of the communities, all the Rabbonim and all the uh, leaders of each community have participated in making sure that all of this is right and correct in order to make it the safest place on earth or the safest place certainly in Johannesburg um, and around the country for people to be able to go to and feel comfortable that you are in the safest possible environment and um, and, of course, we cannot 
proclaim that, you know, every place is now going to be 100% corona free. No, we can't do that. But we can certainly say that this is safer than going shopping. And this is safer than going to the hairdresser. And this is safer than going to gym. And this is safer than taking a walk with friends. And this is safer than uh, going for a meal with your 10 closest friends, as we are now permitted to do. It is something that we need to actually get into our minds and we need to get into our heads and hearts that going to shul is not something to fear. It is actually quite a, a sad and difficult thing for uh, certainly me as a rabbi and I'm sure that many others share this, that people are afraid to go to shul. Um, Jews were afraid to go to shul in times of persecution and Jews were afraid to go to shul in times of uh, of pogroms and Jews were afraid to go to shul under communism and so on. A Jew should never be afraid to go to shul. And what our communities proudly have done all over uh, the country. And I think, and I stand corrected, but I think that we really have been world leaders in this, um, that the entire community um, can be extremely, extremely proud of the way that our Jewish community has gone about seeing to the observance of strict protocols and showing the world out there how much the South African Jewish community values life and how much we value the idea of pikuach nefesh, of doing things in order to save lives and protect people and to make sure that we do not become spreaders of this dreaded, terrible, horrible virus or any other diseases, but rather that we have gone out of our way to make sure that people can and should not only be proud, but also feel comfortable in being able to safely go to shul um, for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And, um, of course, people with, uh, as they call them, comorbidities, people who have any health concerns, of course, we're not um, encouraging anybody to take those chances. Of course, certain people over a certain age should be um, extremely careful. Of course, we've got to be careful with that as well. But it's part of those protocols. And it is something that the communities have gone out of their way to ensure are right and are correct and are true. But um, we certainly should not be of the mindset that going to shul is in any way going to be dangerous or it's going to be scary or it's going to be um, uh, life-threatening, God forbid, or that it's going to be a massive uh, uh, thing of, uh, of, of, of people spreading this uh, disease. Yes, we've all noticed, and I'm sure that other rabbis have as well, that people naturally battle. And this was the argument right from the beginning. People naturally battle with these concepts of social distancing. And we've got to be proud of that in a way as well. It is, we're not wired to be a part. We're not wired. It's not in our DNA not to express our Affection, our connection with people and so on, to want to hug, to want to shake hands, to want to embrace. <clears throat> of course, we all have that. And to want to schmooze, to want to engage in a conversation, to want to be social. We're social creatures. We're social human beings. So, yes, it runs against the grain. But we can give God a hug and God gives us a hug. We can um, come and speak directly to God. And even though we may have to do it through a mask, um, nevertheless, we know that God certainly is not wearing a mask and God's um, connection with us is going to be one that will be hopefully even more powerful this Yom Tov than ever before because we certainly need some uh, extra brachas over this coming Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So we've got to remember that as we are engaging, as we said, with the change, we've also got to remember about 
the repetition. There is something very important if we think about those two words as the meaning of shana. We've got to think about the idea that we need to see something of the repetition. And the repetition that I'm talking about is that we need to be involved in our davening. Now, yes, of course, if you're davening at home, um, you need to kind of hum along in your head the tunes that you would have heard in shul. We need to perhaps, and uh, yes, we've heard of and we know of uh, people who are going to go away for this Yom Tov. That's fine, but we need to make sure that we establish Within our environment, if you are at home, establish a feeling of sanctity within the environment. And yes, perhaps much more so on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur than we have done for every Shabbos of the uh, 25-odd Shabbos that we've been in this lockdown and we've been uh, hampered by this coronavirus epidemic, pandemic. We need to make sure that we are um, creating the right kind of atmosphere and the right kind of environment that we can have in the sense of Shana, a repetition of the types of things that really have drawn us to our shuls and to our communities and to our um, chazonim and our rabonim and so on over the past number of years. And why is it that Rosh Hashanah and Kippur have been so attractive to Jews always? We dare not, we dare not lose out um, anything of that whatsoever, although it's going to be completely different. But we need to put ourselves into the mindset of making sure that this year in that sense is no different uh, from the other years, that there is still the mindset of what Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is all about, of what we're actually doing there when it is Yom Hadin, when it's the day of judgment, of what we're actually doing there when it's the day on which we crown God as our king on Rosh Hashanah. What we're doing when it comes to Yom Kippur and we're standing there and we say, Al-Khayt or Salah Lanu, God, please forgive us for the sins that we've committed. We need to be in that mindset. We need to feel it as much as possible. And I'd like to suggest that if you were debating as to whether you should be or you could be in shul, and of course, once again, not encouraging people who have any health concerns or over a certain age, of course not. But if you um, were debating in your own mind about whether you should go to shul, you should risk it, is it safe, isn't it safe? Let's think about it the other way around, and that is that shul is probably today the safest place that you could go um, in in and around South Africa anyway, because so much has been done to ensure that safety and to ensure that it is um, really, really um, uh, the, the, the right atmosphere. And let's also look at it as being much more of a necessity than you or I could possibly ever imagine. It is a necessity for us to be there and to be involved and to create and to be part of that atmosphere. It is not going to be the same. Davening at home. Let's not fool ourselves. And yes, of course, we've had to make so many changes and people are saying to themselves, but is that not the other meaning of the word Shana, that it's about change? Well, perhaps the change has got to be a change in our own minds and hearts of what our Judaism means to us and what our connection with God means to us and what our connection with our community means to us and to up the ante a little bit. And by the same token, then to understand a little bit better what it means when we say Nitzavim Vayelech, because Nitzavim means to stand still, stand up tall and proud and erect, and Vayelech means to move forward. At the same time, as we're being progressive in our thought, and the same time as we are um, being 
uh, liberal in the way that we think about things and that, yes, it's a time of change and therefore desperate times calls for desperate measures and we've got to do things differently this year. We need the repetition. We need to stand firm. We need to stand firm to what is important to us, what we know is the foundation of our lives, of our Judaism and so on. And what better time to do all of that than on the coming Chag of Rosh Hashanah, which comes up, of course, next week. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi and welcome back. Michael Katz here with you on Judaism 101.9. Great to be in your company. And we've been talking about the word Shana meaning the kind of dual meaning of it being repetition and change. We need to repeat certain things and we need to change certain things. Now, it's not necessarily that the things that need to be repeated should be changed, but perhaps there needs to be an attitude of change. And, of course, this year taught us about change, perhaps more than any other um, in living memory. And the idea of change, we need to be careful that it doesn't take us down the slippery slope of being a change that is in the wrong direction. We need to make sure that our changes have been in the right direction. And in and amongst that is to learn some of the incredible lessons that this period of time has actually taught us. And not the least of which is the fact that a tiny little virus, tiny, so small, um, I think I heard a description somewhere, you know, where it's like uh, one 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 hundred thousandth of a, a the head of a pin kind of thing um, is the actual size of this little particle. Or this, maybe it's much more than that, but just to kind of to get the drift of the fact that it is something so tiny and yet it can do so much. It's actually brought the whole world to a standstill and affected economies and the way that people do things all over this incredibly large world. And yet we have that exact analogy in the concept of a mitzvah and God forbid the opposite of a mitzvah. And that is no matter how small you think it actually is, the ripple effect of it, the effect that it can have on this world and on all the spiritual worlds and on everything in the entire universe is huge both for the positive and, God forbid, for the negative. When we take upon ourselves to change in a positive dimension, to move away from something that we know that we've been doing incorrectly, to move towards something that we know that we will now do correctly, and a mitzvah, and, God forbid, its opposite, we are certainly, certainly having an effect on the entire world, to us and to even those around us. It may seem to be Insignificant, but there's nothing insignificant about the performance of a mitzvah. There is nothing insignificant about learning more Torah. There is nothing insignificant about the prayers that we say. There is nothing insignificant about you, and there's nothing insignificant about me. There is something very, very significant in that thought. And this has been one of the primary, I think, uh, lessons from this entire period of time. The second thing, perhaps, that we need to take to heart is how important the things are that we have regarded as being unimportant or that we've sometimes swept under the carpet. How many people have commented on the fact that uh, they've learned the value much more this year of family, the value of having your spouse and the value of having your children around and the value of having uh, each other around. 
both, by the way, in those who have had that privilege and those who haven't. The ones who haven't had it have been able to learn how important it was to have those kind of connections, how important it has been to share a kind thought with somebody, to uplift somebody, to call somebody and give them some positive energy that you can share on the phone, that you can share on Zoom, you can share on a WhatsApp, whatever it is, the positive energy that you can give to other people. We have so many beautiful lessons that we have learned. We need to make sure that we put those into our permanent repetition, that we repeat the good changes and that we don't shy away from them or go back to our old ways where those things did not exist. So let's make sure that we change in the right direction and not, God forbid, in the wrong one. Be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Yes, and just to uh, sum up for today, let's think about the fact that we wish each other a shana tova umetuka. When we think about the word shana, as we said, it can mean repetition, it can mean change. We wish each other that those repetitions and those changes should be good. But there's another word that we add there, and that word umetuka. It should also be sweet. Now, on the first night of Rosh Hashanah, we are going to take an apple and we're going to dip it in honey. And as we take that apple and we dip it into the honey, we will say, Yehi Ratzon will say, may it be God's will that that he should grant us a Shana Tova Umetuka, that he should give us a good and a sweet year. Well, here, let's think about what is the difference between something being good and something being sweet. Well, I think once again. If we go back to COVID-19 and we think about um, uh, coronavirus, we think about this pandemic, well, it's taught us a lot about that as well. There are certain things that can be good, but they are not that sweet. Um, I don't think anybody in their right mind will say that uh, this time of pandemic has been sweet. But um, we cannot deny the fact that there have been certain things that have come out of it that have been good. There's been an adjustment in the way that people see themselves, the way that people see the world. Um, not all of it always was so rosy and positive before. And so there have been certain corrections and certain things that have happened that have helped us to uh, be more in touch with what we should be and more in touch with who we should be and what we should be doing. Um, all of those things, perhaps positive outcomes from a lousy situation. And that maybe is the meaning of good. We understand that good is everything that God does is good. Not always, however, is it that sweet. Not always is it a palpable feeling of goodness the moment it touches your lips, the moment you uh, taste it, the moment it, it, uh, it, it enters your orb. Not always do we see it as good. And this is the concept, I think, of the idea of a good and a sweet year. It should not only be a good year, but it should be one that is sweet. There should be a palpable sweetness to it. It should be something that's delectable. It should be something that is delightful. It should be something that is um, tasty, that is wonderful, that is great and that's fantastic. The moment we come into contact with it, that really is the idea of a good and a sweet year. So I want to wish you all not only a good and a sweet year, as we will again next week before Rosh Hashanah, but I also want to wish you a great rest of the week, a great Shabbat up ahead, as we are standing and we are moving forward, as we are repeating and we are changing, as we're thinking about all the ideas and ideals behind a Shana Tova Umetuka. 
Have a great one. Be back with you again next week, same time, same place, on Judaism 101.9.